Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're gonna, um, I just want to tell you uh, a, a news item that I, that I ran across that I, I thought was um, really interesting. Um, I, I check the Google News page several times a day, so I'm, I'm, for, I like to just read the headlines and kind of every once in a while something will grab me. And, um, and this one did. This one sort of stayed on the page for, for a few days. And, and basically, it, it, was, um, one of the, it was from one of the uh, architects of the experiment which um, discovered the Higgs boson uh, uh, field or the, what they also call the God particle. So this is very advanced physics um, researching the, the origin of the universe, the, the beginning moments of the, cre the creation of the universe. And so just to give you a review of that um, very concisely, and then I'll tell you what, what his uh, amazing uh, new um, uh, theory or statement was based on, on, on the latest information. Um, basically, the idea is that, well, we say that science is still catching up with Torah. And, and our vision for the uh, creation of the universe is, is now being proven by, by science in, in all sorts of ways. So it's, I'm just not going to give you the sort of the full story, but just sort of to cut to the chase, it's the sort of what we call the Big Bang Theory today was being said by, you know, our rabbis, um, you know, from, from the very start, that basically God took a, a single physical point and that he just enlarged that to the size of the universe, basically, and then said, you know, enough. Basically, he said one of the names of God, Shaddai, and put parameters around the, the physical universe. Now, of course, the Big Bang tells the exact same story of this. Um, now, we know that God existed before the creation of the universe, and one shouldn't make the mistake that God equals the world, and the world equals God. In other words, we know that God saturates all of physicality and all of creation. But that doesn't mean that God equals the universe and that the universe equals God. Because God fills creation, but then exists dimensions beyond creation as well. So God is here and he is beyond, 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 beyond simultaneously. Okay? That's an, that's an important point because that actually distinguishes uh, Torah from other religions. You know, because there are religions that say basically nature equals God. And, and that's not what we're saying. God fills nature and controls nature and nature is just a, a manifestation of an aspect of him. But then God exists beyond that as well. Okay. So the question is, if God then existed before the universe was created, how did an infinite being create a finite universe, right? So basically, the idea is, just to make it very simple, is, is the idea that God took an aspect of his light, L-I-G-H-T, right? We have this concept of the or in sof, which is light without end. But God just took an aspect of his outer light, this garment of his outer light, and he condensed it down. We call this um, tzimtzum. He condensed this outer light down until it became physicality. So there's one stream, one spectrum that goes from the spiritual, which is light, to the physical. And that's very important that that's one spectrum because a lot of people 
will say um, that there are two totally different paradigms that have almost nothing to do with each other. There's the spiritual realm and the physical realm, and they're totally two different ideas. So one of the most important points to hold in your head if you want to be sophisticated in understanding the, the spiritual approach or the Torah approach to reality, or what we, what we see as reality, is to understand that the spectrum from spirituality to physicality is, 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 is one line. That's one spectrum, not two separate ideas. Okay. So the question then is, how does God go about condensing his light and making spirituality physicality? All right? And this is one of the questions that really like the Zohar and, and, and Kabbalah basically involves itself with. Like basically, how did God make the world? This is, this is a big question. And science is fascinated with this obviously as well. So, and they're all kind of approaching it from different angles. But what's exciting is that you see that they're all coming to the same conclusions right now, which is a very exciting thing, and validating, again, what we've been saying from the, from the outset. So, so just to hear it in different words, this is one of the things that Einstein was working on. This is the idea of E equals MC squared, that energy of energy becoming mass, right? And he came up with a formula for how that happens. So energy being the original light transforming itself into mass. So again, I know this is all review, but let's just take it one more step. So what's this whole idea of the God particle? So that's what they call it. But it, by the way, it was, uh, I'll, I'll put it in, in, in nice language. The reason why they called it this is because they said, because it's so gosh darn hard to find. It wasn't about proving God at all. It had nothing to do with God. It was, it was actually a joke. Right, but what's kind of interesting is that people picked up on it, and when they were kept on saying, "We found the God particle," and so the whole context of the original usage was lost, and it seemed like God was being proven scientifically, which I'm sure God had His hand in, sort of like the fact that that shorthand kind of like circled around and went from a very unspiritual thing to like you know this sort of like trumpet call of like the existence of God. It's kind of very interesting the way that happened, you know. Because it wasn't, it wasn't intentional. Well, from above it was intentional, but, but the journalists didn't, weren't trying to missionize the public, you know? Anyway, so the idea was, if spirituality then becomes physicality, or if light or energy, if you want to use that uh, terminology, if light or energy becomes physicality, it has, and it's one spectrum, then it has to pass through a field where the where the energy actually assumes physical form, right? Everyone here has got to pass through that field. So that's what they found. That's what the, 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 the Higgs-Boson thing is all about. It's, it's actually a field of energy that they found and they proved now. And again, this correlates with our vision of, of the creation of the universe, which we've been saying all along. Okay, so that's exciting. But here's the new information. One of the architects of finding the, the Higgs boson, the, 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 the God particle, is, is now saying, is writing, that the continued existence of the universe is actually mathematically impossible. <laughs> that the world absolutely should not exist at all. Now, there, he's approaching this from a scientific place, 
which is which is amazing because again it correlates with another Torah principle, and I'll tell you that in a moment. In other words, what what he's saying is that the this explosive force, which which came out from like the Big Bang, and which created physicality, right? This amazing force that went from energy and blasted it across the spectrum into physicality, right? Should have kept on going and should have obliterated any sort of form from taking place. You understand? It's like there was too much momentum in order to maintain this stable form of the physical universe that we have. So mathematically, if you subscribe to the numbers that they've been using, which have proven these things so far, the problem is that if you continue to sit on them, right, and extend them and work with these numbers, it shows you that the universe itself absolutely should not exist or can't exist. Now, when I saw this, I was thinking about it, I was like, wow, this is Torah, you know? Because we say between, in the prayers, between Baruch Hu and Shema every morning, two times we say that God, every single moment, brings the universe into creation again. <laughs> so in other words, they're right. The universe can't exist. <laughs> so why does it exist? Because God is recreating the universe every single moment. And again, it's like, it, you, you'd have to look like, I always think about real estate. Like, I remember my dad was talking about, like, really expensive real estate, like, you know, in, like, downtown Hong Kong or something like that. And he's like, there they measure it by the inch. I never, I never forgot that phrase, right? And it's sort of like, if you want to look at the real estate between Baruch Hu and Shema, I mean, that's really valuable real estate, <laughs> you know? That's, I mean, that's, those are, like, that's prime, that's prime time right there. And we say this two separate times in two different places, that God brings creation into effect every single moment, over and over again. Now, on a personal level, on a personal level, why I think that this is such a compelling, exciting idea is because it tells you you're not stuck. Nobody is stuck. No one should consider themselves stuck. Because if the world is so fluid, and is constantly being recreated. That means we're constantly being recreated as well, every single moment. That means if you think, wow, there's this obstacle in my way, and there's this wall, and I can't get by it, and whatever it is, and I'm never getting by this thing, it's just simply not true. Just take a different direction. Take a different direction. That's what it is. Because there's a fluidity to the universe which is real, which is real. So, so sometimes, psychologically, we hold ourselves back. But, but let's not fall into that trap of thinking that we're stuck. Okay? Um, now, I want to tie this idea into another idea. Um, I was telling you uh, last week about my trip to South Africa. If you want to hear that, I, I think I called that talk, Believe What You Believe, right? <laughs> because, you know, we believe a lot of stuff. But then the next step is to actually believe what you believe, you know, because that's a whole, that's a whole nother step, you know. So, um, 
Anyway, that's, a, that's the whole thing. But I left out this story, I, not on purpose, but I didn't have a chance to tell it. So here's, um, here's one more story from, from the trip, and, and you'll see how it connects. Um, I was in the airport, ready to fly back now, back, back from, I guess this was Cape Town, back to Los Angeles. And I was buying presents for the family. And they had an airport shop, and they, you know, there were actually some, some pretty nice stores there, you know. And um, I went into one place, and I wanted to get something for my daughter. And I, I saw they had, like, these really nice kind of, like, craftsy kind of, looking pouches, you know, like these small little bags um, with African proverbs on them. And I thought, and, and they looked like really kind of cool and funky, like something you'd see in like a flea market or something like that, but they were new. And, and I, I read one of the African proverbs and I was like, nah. I read another one, I was like, nah. And then I read another one, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that feels like a real kind of Torah idea. And it said, um, it said, no matter how long the night, the day is sure to come. And then it had a picture of a rooster. And then on the bottom it says, African proverb. And I had just had like this crazy roller coaster experience, you know, with like a lot of night, but then with a lot of day. And I, so it really resonated with me personally. I thought it was a very positive message and, and it was just kind of like a cool looking kind of thing. So, so I bought it. So then I get on uh, the plane and it's a you know, really long, really long flight. I'm sitting down and the person sitting next to me um, is you know, setting up, you know, you got, a, got an 11 hour flight ahead of you, you know, you're kind of just preparing your, your kind of like stuff. And she pulls out a bag that she clearly had had for a while, and it's the same bag, you know? It's a, it's, it's, but it's, a, it's like a little bigger with a different color scheme, but it's the exact same company, you know, same print, and it says, no matter how long the night, the day is sure to come, with the picture of the rooster, and then African proverb, same typeface, same, same company, obviously. So I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's like, and she didn't just buy it, you know? she. She had it, you know, so thinking, wow, you know, that's really kind of interesting. So I'm just kind of staring at the bag and kind of meditating on it, you know, and then all of a sudden I hit, this idea comes to me, and, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. So, so here's the thought. Now, we're into roosters, just so you know. <laughs> and... There's a whole series of blessings that we say every morning. I, I call it like the, the, the checklist brochas or the morning the morning the morning checklist, right? And you'll see right in the very beginning of the of the prayer book, you'll see a list of about approximately thirteen blessings that you say. And you thank God for giving you clothes, you thank God for being able to stand up straight, you thank God for giving sight to the blind, because you know we wake up and we open up our eyes. It's like we've gotten sight again. You thank God for your providing for your needs and for your shoes and for all, all sorts of all sorts of things. And originally, by the way, just on a historical note, the idea was that as you went through these stages of waking up in the morning, you would say these blessings. But they're so 
kind of like exact, and there's so many of them, and we're making blessings using Hashem's name, that, and people are groggy in the morning, and you forget, and all the rest, that it just became sort of simpler, the rabbis felt, just, let's just say it all at once, and we'll make a checklist when you kind of get your act together, and then you just kind of motor through them, right? But, um, but anyway, there's something very beautiful about this idea that as you were to stand up to say, so keif kofufim, you know, God who straightens the bent, you know, that, that would be an amazing thing that if you could actually, and this I'm not recommending it, in fact, I'm recommending that you, you don't do it, but just to just imagine yourself being able to, as you put on your clothes to say a blessing, as you put on your shoes to be able to say a blessing, that's an amazing way to go through life. Now, you can still have all these intentions when you say the blessings, you know, together, but that was the idea, and then you're really weaving God into your life, or, you know, or really being conscious of God as he's you know, interacting with you, you know, in a beautiful way. But at least, you know, when you, you can, you can have that consciousness as you get dressed or as you stand up, you know, you don't say the blessing, but, but you can be in that place. And that, that's a very, that's a very sort of uh, elevated place to be in. Um, anyway, the very first blessing that we make is uh, um, which is, which is blessing us, giving us the ability to understand the difference between uh, night and, and day, or, or, or darkness and light, or good and evil, if you will. Like the very first blessing that we're making is that God allows us to make this distinction between right and wrong. I'll tell you something. When I first came out here to, to California, I was 21, and I, I, I was uh, blessed to get a job uh, writing for TV. Um, and I was on this writing staff, and you know I was, you know I guess the youngest member of the staff. But there was, there was uh, there were these guys uh, in their I guess 40s or something like that, and they were like from like real, real hippies, you know, like authentic hippies from the 1960s. And they had been out here in LA. They had really done the full-on scene. And I remember I, I became friends with one of them, who was a, just this great guy, and he invited me to his house out in Malibu. And we kind of climbed some mountains in his backyard. And then I remember I was at, you know, this place with him and his wife later on. And his wife was like a real kind of, you know, hippie type. And uh, we're sitting. And I remember these words very clearly. She said to me, she said, in raising my kids, right, she said, um, <laughs> and I had just seen like her kids and they, they kind of seemed kind of, I don't know. Anyway, so she said, she said, she said to me, the number one rule in terms of raising my kids is that I, 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 I will not teach them the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, and I was just 21, I wasn't even observant at that time. I was thinking, wow, if there's only one thing you teach your kids, it should be the difference between right and wrong. You know, it's like, really? You know, so... And I'm sure, you know, she was coming, I, I'm not trying to be obnoxious here or judgmental, but, but I'm sure she was coming from a very idealistic place. You, you know what I'm saying? But, but one thing that, that people, it, and it, I, I wasn't really aware of it. It's funny, I was just talking about this with, uh, a few moments ago. Kids themselves aren't that sophisticated. And they really need to have some sort of frame of reference. 
And then they can build on it and they can innovate on it as they get older. You know, like for instance, I'll tell you one thing like, you know, I'm interested in sort of like deeper, more sort of philosophical, more spiritual ideas. And I remember when my kid was very young, like, like I'm talking about three, four or five, like really discussing like, you know, like really intense Hasidus with him. And it's like, I, I regret it. I regret it because it's sort of like kids develop, develop, de- developmentally can't hold these thoughts. They're not in the place where they can hold these thoughts. And it's like, it doesn't really help. And you have to realize that just like a body grows, you know, you're short and then, you know, you, you get taller, whatever it is. The brain itself is actually growing as well. And if you try to input thoughts which are age inappropriate to a kid, you're not necessarily giving him a jump start on things. It might just be bouncing off or it might even possibly have a negative effect. So you have to sort of be aware of that, or I'm talking to myself, you know? So anyway, um, kids, kids don't get it. And, and that's why, like, for instance, you know, if you say, well, if you, if you uh, come to me with shul, to shul, right, to, 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 to pray with me, I, I'll give you a piece of chocolate, right? Great idea. That's, that's a great idea. And you might say, as sort of like an older person, Oh, really, they should be doing it for the sake of heaven. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, like to bribe a kid to say a blessing, you know, that's so low. That's so low, you know? Like, you know, this is supposed to be beyond reward. That's the place where we want to be. No, chocolate for a kid, great idea, you know, because that's where they're at. And then they develop super positive associations. Wow, I go to shul, and shul's a place where I get. Candy, what a fantastic place to go. Shul, you know? So that's, that's again, just, just something that, that people should know. And it's, it's, it's a mistake, you know, it's just, you, you talk about just how, 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 uh, how much of a labyrinth the world is, you know? It's, this is a mistake that spiritual, very positive, high-minded people will make. They'll say, They'll, so what will they do because they're so spiritual? I'm not going to give my kid the candy. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, life can be so twisted, right? That's why we need, like, guidance, you know? So kids need to have that firm foundation. They need to know what's right and wrong. You know, there, there are inter, a lot of intermarried couples where they say, you know what, we'll, we'll expose our kid to everything and we'll let our kid choose. Again, no. They, what, what does the kid know? kid doesn't know anything. Like, the kid is like a comparative religion expert. You know, honestly. You know, but again, we, we arrive at this thought from, like, a very high-minded place. Like, you know, no, no, son, my precious two-year-old, I respect you so much. <laughs> yes, you do, and you love them, but also be aware of their limitations, you know? So, again, we need, we need structure. And then, as a person grows up, then they can then they can innovate and they can play with it and they can refine it, you know, as they understand. So, so moving forward. So this idea that the very first blessing that we make is, is that we thank God for giving us the ability to make this discernment between light and dark, between, which is between good and bad. But this word, lesechvi, 
is a very interesting word because it doesn't just mean like seicho, it doesn't just mean understanding, it also means rooster. So because the rooster has this unbelievable ability to know like that point where darkness becomes light, right? And so when darkness turns into light, that's when the rooster crows, all right? So now let's go back to the plane ride. I'm like staring at this woman's bag, you know, thinking like, wow, you know, like no matter how long the night, the day is sure to come. And there's this picture of the rooster. I'm thinking, okay, wow, this is really cool. So we'll just get to the point right now, which is, you know, you have nighttime in, in, in Torah, it means exile. It means hard times, it means exile. That's the night. Daytime means, means redemption or, or, or better times. Now, now just tell you, just to give you a correlation between daytime and redemption, something interesting, which is, I heard from Rabbi Shlomo uh, in the name of the Zohar that it says that when Yaakov Avinu, when our forefather Jacob woke up after his chuppah, after he got married, he looked and it says, it says in the Chumash, it says, in the morning, Leah, there was Leah. Now that was a big shock to him because he thought that he had just married Rachel, right? And he wakes up and he sees Leah there. It's like, whoa, you know, what happened? Now the amazing thing is, Leah gives birth to Yehuda, and Yehuda is that's the that's that's the line of King David, which is the messianic line. So the Zohar says on this line, in the morning he saw Leah, the Zohar says, in the morning Mashiach. Right? Which you know gives you the chills just thinking about it. Like to him, this was like what just like he worked seven years to marry Rachel. And here's Leah. So, so he saw this as like the, the, the opposite, the opposite of what he was intending. And yet, what was God doing? Bringing Mashiach into the world in the most amazing way. So we don't know. Like the events of our lives, they're so mysterious because you know, I, I always think of, I, I was reading a, a review, I didn't see it, but it was, I think, the pilot of to Deep Space Nine, which was one of the Star Trek uh, spinoffs. And apparently the, the, the plot of this, of the pilot episode was something like, um, they encounter these aliens who live outside of time. And they quoted in just the TV review, this, this one line, which I thought was interesting, where the aliens say to the Enterprise crew, like to the humans, they say, What's it like not knowing what's going to happen next? <laughs> like, that must be so interesting. <laughs> you know, here's like the human condition. Like, it's so confounding to us. Like, we're banging our heads against the wall. Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? I'm terrified. I'm so worried. I don't know which direction my life is going. You know? And from their perspective, it's like, wow, that must be really cool. <laughs> you know? It's like... So, 
So yeah, God deliberately created us and the universe in such a way where we're inside of time. You know, this is, didn't have to be like that. And one of the major reasons is because we pray, is to create this amazing bond between us and God. Um, so, so yeah, Yaakov Avinu looks and he sees Leah and he thinks that's the last thing he'd ever want in the world at that moment anyway. His relationship with Leah grows close, you know, over the years, and, and it all works out. But again, in the morning, Mashiach, that's the Zohar on that moment. So, so we see again, daytime represents Mashiach. So, so now, again, I'm looking at this bag, no matter how long the night, the day is sure to come, and this picture of the rooster who signals that transition from night to day. So I'm thinking, wow, nighttime is exile, daytime is redemption. And what is our tradition that at the end of the exile, at the end of the night, there's going to be a great chauffeur blast? And then the day, and then Mashiach, right? So I thought, Look what God is doing in the most amazing way. Remember I told you when we started that the universe cannot hold, that this is the latest in, in, in physics. The, the, the universe cannot hold. It's like the momentum of the initial blast was too great to ensure the stability that we have around us. And what did we say? That based on this, that it syncs exactly with this principle that, in fact, it can't hold, that God is creating and recreating the universe every single moment, right? So you see this now on a 24-hour level in the most amazing way, because every single 24 hours, darkness turns into light. Exile turns into redemption. In other words, each day is a microcosm of the history and the destiny of the world, right? Because you go from exile, from night to day. Remember, the Jewish day starts at night, right? So you go from night to day, from exile to redemption, from exile to Mashiach. And what do we say? That Mashiach can happen at any single moment. The redemption of the world can happen at any single moment. But now here's the final kicker that I'd like to suggest, which is God built in the chauffeur blast of Mashiach, which signals the beginning of day, into the fabric of nature itself in the form of the cry of the rooster. <laughs> because what does the rooster do? It's like a chauffeur blast at the end of the night signaling the coming of daylight. Right? So that's like the chauffeur blast. And it's like weaved into the fabric of nature. And there it is every single day. Exile, the great blast of Mashiach, daytime. You know? So, so I guess all this boils down to just saying hello to each other. <laughs> What do I mean by that? You see, you have these things. I think they call them fractals, but 
don't uh, don't hold me to that. But but things where you have every time you take a small piece of something, the new small piece contains the previous whole of everything that went before it. Right? So in a 24-hour period, you have the history and the destiny of all of creation, right? In every single moment, you have the recreation of the entire universe, right? So every single moment is like this amazing DNA strand that we get to also participate in and co-program, right? Which then blasts out and has all these amazing repercussions and domino effects. And so basically, it all boils down to getting it together with ourselves and the people around us. You know, that's, that's kind of what it boils down to. You know, there's this amazing teaching from uh, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. He was the founder of the Musser movement, um, which was just trying to get people to kind of, you know, just kind of be better at being Jews, you know? And, and um, he said that, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, that, that basically he wanted to change his whole town, right? His whole country or whatever it is, the whole world, I guess. And then he said, okay, that's, that's a little hard. Maybe I'll just try my city. He's like, that's kind of a little bit hard. He goes, maybe, maybe just my family. And then he said, as he became more mature, he said, you know what? Maybe I should just change myself first. <laughs> that we actually have control over. You know, I'll tell you something. And again, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to... Um, in, in insult uh, this person at all because he genuinely was coming from a great place. But I got a call from someone that I've never met and um, he told me, he said, oh, you know, I'm talking with all these, I don't know how he got my number or why he was calling me, but he said, talking with all these different rabbis, he said, I've got this, um, this relative and I, I really want to, uh, you know, introduce her to, you know, Torah and, and just, you know, she's not in, in her life is not in that place, but I, I, I want it to be in that place. And, and well, which, which class should I send her to? Or which, which book should she be reading? And I've taken her on this tour of different places and everything like that. And, um, and, you know, I said to him, you know, it sounds to me like you want it for her a lot more than she wants it. I said, he goes, yes. He was like shocked that I said that. He said, yes. He said, I'd say it's probably about 90%, 10% right now. <laughs> and then he said, well, which book do you think it is? I think it should be this book. And I'm, crea I'm creating a class just for her around this book. And it's like, I was just looking at that book, one of our greatest Torah books. It's a very intense book, you know? And it's like, like that's a really like very academic book. I, I don't. I, she sounds like she's more experiential and everything like that. It doesn't sound like this is really like the the book. And he's like, and then I'm like, do you? I said, do, how well do you know her? He's like, well, we're, we're not really well. <laughs> I said, well, may, maybe you should like just like get to know her. You know, <laughs> like why don't you go out to lunch with her? And he's like. I'm like, because you're talking like there's some kind of magic bullet. There's no, and he said, yes, that's what I'm looking for. I'm like, yeah, there's not, I said, like, there's not a magic bullet, you know? 
I said, why don't you like have like regular lunches with her and actually get to know her? And he's like, and then he said to me, and he told me the rabbis that he's talking with, and he's like basically more or less the biggest rabbis in the in the city right now. And he's like, you're saying things to me that no one else is saying. <laughs> and again, I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm really not, you know, because he's coming from a very beautiful place. He wants the best for his relative. He really, he legitimately does. He's giving it a lot of thought, and he's putting a lot of effort into it. So his level of sincerity, his level of sincerity is unimpeachable. But at the same time, it's sort of like, how is any change going to happen with anyone? Only from connecting with a, a person, right? You know, in a real way. That's that's the only way it happens. Um, you know, I mean, there are, there are exceptions, certainly, but, but where basically someone will stumble upon a class or an article or someone, but at, and, and it seems to happen much faster. But when, when that happens, it's because they're open to hearing that message at that point. They're at that point in their life, right? Um, someone told me, I don't know if this is true, but I thought it was an interesting idea that about guys getting married. And they said that basically a guy will either consciously or unconsciously decide that he wants to get married, and then the first woman he dates after that point he marries. <laughs> that was a very in- interesting insight into the way men work, you know? Now again, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it makes sense to me that, that guys are kind of like that. They're like sort of like, you know, once they decide, like, okay, yeah, I'm at that period where I'm getting married. Hey, I'm dating this girl. All right, let's do it. Will you marry me? You know, and I don't know that women approach it the same way. Maybe now that women are becoming more like men because they're being socialized that way, maybe that, that will happen with women as well. I don't know. But, um, but anyway, uh, the idea being that, that if a person's heart is actually open and they're at a period in their life where they're open to hearing the message, then sometimes it will happen very quickly. Like they will just go to a class and that class will be, quote unquote, the magic bullet. But what led up to them going to that class? Oh, a a lot of things, a lot of things. And probably including relationships with people or real experiences which really altered them and changed them, you know? So, So we'll wrap it up. And just the idea being, again, just to review, this idea that that according to the latest scientific research, the universe itself should absolutely not exist. (laughs) And that that actually syncs with our Torah notion that in fact God is bringing the world into creation every single moment, recreating the universe every single moment. And that the beauty of that is that that means that there's this divine flow, which means that we're not stuck, even if we feel like we're stuck. And that further on, that this whole exile to redemption scenario, storyline for the history of the world is actually being played out on a 24-hour period. Darkness, which is the beginning of our day, going into light. Exile transforming itself into redemption. And that the chauffeur blast, which is going to be sounded 
at that break of dawn is actually played out in the form of the rooster who crows at the first sign of light on a daily basis. And that if everything is in everything, <laughs> right, that that means that any positive thing that we do with each other, starting with ourselves and the people around us, is really the transformation that's going to be most impactful. That human connection is going to be most impactful. And if you say, well, it's just with this one person, you know. Like I, I knew a guy one time, still know, great guy. And he had one kid. And he said to me, you know, from 10 can come one, and from one can come 10. And I thought that that was really interesting. You know, you never know, like in terms of the rolling out of the generations. He's like, yeah, I had one kid, you know, but she could have 10 kids. Right? Or a person could have 10 kids, and they, from that, maybe only one kid comes out. Who knows? Who knows how God runs the world, right? And so it's appropriate that this is Parsha's chukas. And I'll just end with this thought. Chukas, remember, a chok is something that's like beyond, 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 like, like shotness. Like, why are you telling me I can't wear a garment if it has wool and linen mixed together? Right? That's one of the commands. And, and there are many places where you can take, if you buy a suit, you, you have to take it and, and have it checked. They're in every city. You, you go and you have it checked, right? So, um, so why can't I mix wool and linen? We're told that we can't know, right? We, we, it's, 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 it's coming, it's a, it's, a, it's a mitzvah. It's part of the, the blueprint of the universe which is coming from a place which is what we call super-rational, meaning to say, not irrational, not that it doesn't make sense, right? But super-rational, meaning beyond our ability to understand. Because remember, God is infinite. Our, our, our intelligence is very great, but it only climbs a certain part of the ladder. Then God tells you realms that, that might seem contradictory to our lives right now. We don't even know. It sinks, but it's beyond us. Those are the, those, that's a chok, right? So we just, we just do it, right? So chukas, what does chukas mean, right? Right, because that's the parsha. It means, I don't know how it works, but I'm doing it anyway, <laughs> right? I don't know how it works, but I'm doing it anyway. Because when we look around ourselves, there is this compelling and I would even say exquisite structure to the universe. And it's all around us. And God forbid we should think that things are random. It's mysterious. It's not random. It's surprising. It's not random. Right? It's maddening. <laughs> but it's not random. But it's not random. So Hashem should bless us that really we should just embrace all the beauty in the world and love each other. Yeah.